Welcome to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Good afternoon. I am Deb Hutton. I am your host for Free For All Fridays for the month of October. And before I begin, I just want to welcome the newest listener to Free For All Fridays. As regular listeners will know, Amanda Galbraith is usually your host in this hour every Friday, and she's on maternity leave. And we have some exciting news. Bruno, baby Bruno, arrived on Monday. And I just, I want to send just my congratulations and love to Amanda and Mark and baby Bruno. We're so happy. And on behalf of all of the uh, Free For All Friday listeners, the iHeart Talk Radio Network listeners, and, and our my own family, welcome baby Bruno. We hope that we don't put you to sleep this afternoon, although Mom Amanda might wish we do, uh, but we just couldn't be happier for the three of you. Enjoy every minute. It goes so fast. So on that happy note, I'm going to switch gears and talk about things that aren't as happy happening in Ottawa. And joining me for this hour to talk about uh, the inquiry, which will be our first topic, and a whole bunch of other things happening nationally, are Jennifer Pagliaro, City Hall reporter with the Toronto Star, and Elias Makos, host of the Elias Makos Show on CJAD in Montreal from 9 to noon. Welcome to Free For All Friday. Hey, thanks for having me. We got you guys? Yes, Deb. Great to have. Great to be Elias, on. Elias, you got you. All right. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> All right. So, okay, perfect. So, as I said, we are going to start off talking about uh, the inquiry that's taking place into the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act to clear the Freedom Convoy occupation in February in our nation's capital. They've been hearing firsthand testimony from top government and police officials. We had earlier this week Mayor Jim Watson, the mayor of Ottawa, Diane Deans, who was the former uh, head of the police board, among other things. Another, uh, sorry, among other guests. What I want to talk to you guys about isn't so much the specific testimony, although it is so much fun for media pundits and political watchers and people who just like this sort of thing. What I really want to get to is whether in the course of this inquiry, the testimony we're hearing, we're actually getting to the crux of the purpose of this of this inquiry, which is to decide whether or not the government was justified in its use of the Emergencies Act. So, Elias, I'm going to start with you. Do you think we will eventually get there? Because right now it just feels like a lot of fun and a bit of a circus on some days and political gossip. Fun for who, Deb? Fun for who is the big question here. <laughs> I, I, would, I, I would file this under uh, an ever-growing category called be careful what you wish for, right? So I think there were a lot of people that were pining for this inquiry because they were going to find some dirt uh, to prove that the federal government should not have been using the Emergencies Act. And what we've found so far is, you know, a lot of evidence that, well, at the end of the day, something had to be done here. But also for both sides that were just chomping at, chomping at, the, bit, at the bit here to make the case that the federal government acted uh, appropriately, one thing we are learning is that, okay, sure, at the end of the day, three, four weeks in, this was appropriate. But the level of incompetence that was required to get there, right? This is, there's two ways you can look at it. You know, at the end of the day, did we need the, emergency, the Emergencies Act? I would say yes, but I think it's equally valid to question how we got there. So I think there's egg on a lot of people's face. Maybe there's some, uh, some conservative politicians that are going to look pretty bad here at the end of the day when, when you look at what they could have done and how some of them did nothing. 
But I think we're also going to expose a lot of incompetence here. And, and that's what I've seen. When you hear about various levels, police forces, not communicating, not talking, or outright ignoring warning signs, um, it's, it's not a good look. So the people that wanted this inquiry, you know, I say, be careful what you wish for. I think you're getting uh, some things you didn't expect. Jennifer Pagliaro, City Hall reporter for the Toronto Star. What's your take on this? I mean, I really feel like all of this is interesting stuff. Uh, there may be some smart uh, recommendations for how to do things better in the future, but I don't know if this is the best way to actually ask the germane question, which is, did the government overstep? Did it overreach? Or was it justified in invoking the act? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always in favor of having more public information. You know, as a journalist, I, I, I'm happy to see any kind of public inquiry. I, I agree that I think we're seeing information that perhaps uh, politicians and, and police weren't uh, necessarily expecting us to see. And I think, you know, this this is a rarely used act. It, it should be a rarely used act. And so I think it's important to uh, take stock of the reasons why it's used when it's used. Um, and, and, you know, we had a lot of people that were uh, deeply concerned about the the length and the sort of content of the protest um you know taking over uh large parts of downtown toronto so i, th I think it's i think it's fair to have this inquiry you know in terms of um what we're going to get out of it i mean that's the thing about inquiries i'm not sure that it's uh, always so um satisfying uh, to anyone involved including the public so uh, one of the sets of fingers being pointed uh, was the mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson, uh, towards the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford. And uh, there's been some question as to whether Doug was MIA and his Solicitor General, Sylvia Jones, was MIA during this period of time and whether he would testify to that. Let's hear his answer. Well, we have some of the top officials with the OPP testifying. And uh, yes, I, I stood shoulder to shoulder with the, the prime minister uh, the, these uh, folks were, were, you know, camping out, everything from whirlpools, disrupting downtown, disrupting the lives of the people of Ottawa. So, Lies, if you were actually advising Doug Ford, would you have told him he should go testify? Well, I would have said, uh, thank God for the auto industry, because I try and imagine what would have happened during those weeks of what was going on in Ottawa. And, I, and what was happening, by the way, at the Ambassador Bridge as well. And I try and think what the response would have been from tough guy Doug Ford with, with part of his base that he relies on if there wasn't an auto industry of real tough guys, right? I want to point this out. The people in the auto industry, they're the real tough guys. They're not the people that uh, don't want to work for a living that decided to camp out for weeks in Ottawa. And if, if, uh, Ottawa, if Ontario's economy wasn't getting hit as hard as it was, how would Doug Ford have responded, right? I think it would have been different. So he's, listen, he's right, by the way, Doug Ford standing side by side, the prime minister, this was a big deal, but we all know the reasons why he had to take that position. So, you know, listen, I'm no expert in Ontario politics. Uh, I, I think um, uh, Ontario has, has gone down a path that it's gone for various reasons, probably because you guys, it doesn't seem like you have any competent opposition leaders in your province and you've just let Doug Ford have the lay of the land. And by the way, he's become more centrist. So that's going to help him out as well. Um, but, you know, I, nothing surprising here. There's nothing like for me, 
there's no benefit to Doug Ford testifying, right? And if there's no benefit, why do it? And I think that the people are advising on that end are probably making the right decision. Jennifer, your thoughts on that? Because I actually would advise him to go. He actually was at his best uh, during some of these moments. And, and I think he could go and just be Doug Ford. Yeah, I mean, of course, again, like as a journalist, I, I'd love to see everyone, you know, put in front of an inquiry, like the, the more the merrier, in my opinion. I, you know, I, I'm not sure that um, in this situation, Premier Ford has anything uh, necessarily to hide. I know there is conversation about um, the, uh, you know, the exchange with the with the prime minister. But I think, you know, from what I understand from my friends in Ottawa and, and folks who are really impacted by this, they, a lot of attention was really on um, the police there uh, in Ottawa and, and what they knew uh, and what they were doing about, you know, keeping people from from occupying the streets. And so, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it would have made uh, a, a large difference. I'm not sure it would have been the major headline of the day, but I guess it depends what he what he would say. Well, we'll have weeks and weeks and weeks of this to talk about, so I'm sure we will revisit the topic. After the break, we are going to talk about another federal issue, this time the cost of the ArriveCan app. Is there something untoward in how that app was developed and who got paid or who we said got paid and didn't? I'm Deb Hutton on the iHeart Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Free For All Friday. This is Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. I'm Deb Hutton. Thanks for joining us on this uh, Friday afternoon. As always, we're joined by a, a couple of watchers of all things political and current events. This week, it's Jennifer Pagliaro, who's the City Hall reporter with the Toronto Star, and Elias Mack is host of the Elias Mack Show on CJAD in Montreal, mornings from 9 until noon. So bear with me for a minute here, because I, I really want to put the facts of this story on the table. So a Canadian technology CEO says he has no idea why his company is listed as having received $1.2 million in an Arrive Can contract. And he's calling on Canada Border Services Agency to issue a correction. Craig McClelland, who is the CEO of Think On Inc., was listed as the sink, the company was listed as the sixth ranked company in terms of federal outsourcing contracts related to developing and maintaining the ArriveCan app. Quote, we have received no money from CBSA. And in fact, he says, Think On who is listed as having done QR scanning work is not in that business at all. It's not a service they provide. So guys, what is happening here? Jennifer, I'll start with you. Are we on the verge of a big scandal or is this simply a mistake? What, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big question here. This is such an interesting story. Uh, Bill Curry at The Globe is such a pro. Um, and, and it makes sense to to track the spending on this app. You know, there's been a lot of criticisms about, you know, the um, like how you were notified, whether you'd been near someone with COVID, as well as the ArriveCan app. And, and you know, it'd be kind, kind of a hassle, a bit bureaucratic um, compared to what other cities had implemented and other countries. And so... It's hard to tell, you know. I read, I read the details of the story really quickly, trying to answer that question myself, and um, 
it's 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 a it's a real it's it's a real uh interesting one you know how a, a government contract could be listed for a company of that amount you know it's like that to that number come out of thin air did they list the wrong company um you know there's a conversation about other subcontractors it's a it's a pretty big error if it's an error um to just list a company that says it had nothing to do with this app and so yeah i think i think uh bureaucrats will definitely need to speak to this um and uh, the minister's office as well i think i'll be watching closely for bill's next story well, in that regard, uh, Conservative MP Michael Barrett raised the issue in question period, describing the app as a boondoggle, a word I might support. Let's listen. We got a clip, Tony. Number. This 16. was an app that started out. It was supposed to cost $80,000 and the expenses ballooned to more than $54 million. It wrongly quarantined, forcing people into house arrest. It's a boondoggle. It's a failed app. They've lost $1.2 million. Who got rich? And here's how Liberal MP Pam Damoff, the parliamentary uh, secretary to public safety, Minister Marco Mendocino, uh, who is responsible for Canadian Border Services Agency. Here's how she responded in the in the House. For the opposition to call the Arrive Can app a boondoggle when it was developed to keep Canadians safe is appalling. CBSA is aware of issues with the contract. So what do we call it then, Elias, if it's not a boondoggle and if we've got, by the way, not just one, but two companies who say that they were erroneously listed as having received money. Just last uh, thir- late Thursday, a spokesperson for Ernst & Young, not a small company in this country, who they ranked 17th on the list, and they told The Globe in their story that the government's reference to the company receiving $120,000, not as much as the other company, but was a complete error. So what is this if not a boondoggle? There are so many facets to this story. It's it's kind of hard. A lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth when they hear the word arrive, arrive can. And I think a lot of people are actually actually upset over government rules, but they're falsely blaming it on arrive can. I used arrive can all summer, didn't have any issues uh, using the app, made sure that when I got to the border, I would be scanned. They would take my passport. They had all my information ready to go. And I literally zipped through the border via land or at the airport every single time without any hassle, without any weight. I will, you know, if they want to keep Arrive Can around so that I never have to answer questions with a border guard, I can just do it via an app. I'm very happy about that. $54 million for an app. Sometimes it's par for the course when it comes to technology. And then you throw in government bureaucracy and that always adds to the bill. But I think the bigger story here is that this has been a year of incompetence by this federal government. And, you know, you list here some of the things that just don't add up on on, uh, suppliers that are listed for this app. Chalk that up to incompetence. Chalk what happened with passports at the airport to incompetence. There was story after story. Listen, we have a story of our Minister of Diversity and Inclusion, Ahmed Hussein, the Minister of Diversity and Inclusion hired a noted racist, anti-Semite, anti-French activist to train broadcasters on anti-racism. And he knew about it. He was alerted to it. He didn't cancel the contract until the media got involved and too many stories stories showed up. So to me, all of these issues we're seeing with the RiveCan is an example for some reason in this liberal government 
you can make mistake after mistake and you never pay with your job. And I think we'd be in a better place with Arrive Can. I think we'd be in a better place with a whole bunch of facets of our government if heads rolled when you made mistakes. So I actually would prefer if this story was just uh, about incompetence, Elias. Elias. I, it just doesn't pass the sniff test for me, though. Two companies that we know of already in a list of, what, 23, who say we didn't do this work and we didn't get paid. Keep in mind, some of this information has come out, not just through the globe, but because we have a parliamentary committee looking into this, which I think is a good use of parliamentary time. So it's not as though somebody just said, oh, here, give them this information. Like you were preparing for a committee. Doesn't that smell bad to you? Well, it, it doesn't smell as bad as the, the stories that have come out of Roxham Road, the irregular border crossing here in Quebec, where you hear that certain people that have donated significantly to the liberals in the past have received millions and millions of dollars of contracts related to how we have to uh, house and take care of people crossing via that irregular border crossing. So, you know, we need more info on this on this particular story, right? I mean, it literally could come down to a clerical error in this case. Probably not, but it could. I think we need a little bit more info here. But it it doesn't surprise me if there if there are no consequences, why would we see a better job? Jennifer, last thought on this. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would like to see a lot more information on this. Uh, I trust Bill is on it, uh, you know, but I think it deserves. Um, uh, further attention than, you know, that the fact that this came out um, through reporting, I think we're going to need to see a proper accounting now. Again, I, I don't know how that just showed up on a government contract. And um, it, like, clearly there is a, there's a huge uh, problem with the process or there's something um, worse going on. So uh, either way, it, it deserves uh, more attention, I think. Jennifer Pagliaro, Elias Makos, you are more optimistic and more generous, I think, than I am on this topic. But Wait, time will I, did, tell. Didn't I, didn't I just say the government is as is, is, yeah, is incompetent think, as can be? I, I think, I I think Elias was uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough on the government there. I'm trying to be neutral here. <laughs> well, coming up after the break. We have another shot at the federal government because I do want to talk about the economy, where we are, and some comments made earlier this week by our Deputy Prime Minister and uh, Minister of Finance, Christian Freeland. I'm Deb Hutton. This is uh, Free for All Friday. We are on the iHeart Talk Radio Network. Stay with us, and we'll have more to chat about coming up. And now more of Free for All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. I'm Deb Hutton. I'm your host for the month of October. If you didn't join us off the top of the show, uh, I did welcome our newest listener, little Bruno Amanda Galbraith, who is your regular host for Free for All Friday, is off on mat leave and baby has finally arrived. So we do wish Amanda and Mark and baby Bruno all the best. Joining me today to talk about the topics that we've all been listening about and, and talking about this week are Jennifer Pagliaro, City Hall reporter for the Toronto Star, and Elias Makos, who is host of the Elias. 
Elias Mako Show on CJAD. I have a hard time saying that, Elias, in Montreal from 9 to noon uh, in the morning. So earlier this week, Finance Minister Christian Freeland warned Monday that uh, Canadians can expect an economic slowdown in the coming uh, months. She said she believes Canada is now facing the crescendo of the COVID recession. But she also said this. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, and I'm not going to claim that we don't have some challenging months ahead. We do, but I am really confident in the resources the government is going to be able to bring to bear to support Canadians getting through it and in the fundamental strengths of the Canadian economy. She went on to say this. This is a period of economic turbulence. Um, This is the final act of the COVID recession. We had the shutdowns, then we had the reopening accompanied by high inflation, and now we're having higher interest rates designed to bring down that inflation. And all of that is hard and challenging. So if you notice, the minister talked about the crescendo or the end of the COVID recession, but she didn't actually talk about a recession going forward. So I spoke with Craig Wright, chief economist at the Royal Bank of Canada earlier this week on News Talk Today, and here's what he said. No, there are words loaded with a, a lot of a lot of baggage, but I mean, effectively, our forecast would be basically flat growth through the period of 2020 three with a couple negative quarters and a couple small positives, but really moving sideways through the year. So that would be meet the technical definition of a recession. But the, the bottom line is it's it's going to feel a lot slower next year than it does this year for overall growth, businesses and consumers. So, Elias, I'm going to start with you. What did, What's your take just generally on how the minister handled this? So talked about uh, the crescendo of the COVID recession, didn't utter the R word going forward. As we all know, it's it's fraught with all kinds of baggage. Is she preparing us adequately? What's your take on it? Well, I, I think it's a victory for all Canadians when a liberal doesn't use the terms uh, she covery and she session when discussing the <laughs> pandemic and economic issues. Uh, how many times did Justin Trudeau uh, say those terms before he got the ixnay on on repeating it? So, uh, listen, uh, Christian Freeland uh, is, with reason, you know, letting everybody know that we've got turbulent times ahead. But to be very honest, you know, there's, there is going to be something very different about any type of recession that we're going to see. We all know that every single employer needs bodies. It's dip, you know, it's it's going to be difficult to convince me that we're headed to to some sort of difficult time when uh, unemployment has never been lower, and everywhere you look, people want to hire. There, you know, and and sometimes a a, a recession can be a good thing. And let me just temper my words here before you say what recession's good. Recessions <laughs> can be good. Recessions can be good because it forces innovation. And it forces the strong to survive. And there's there's actually some good to that. Of course, if you're losing your job, if, you're, if your life is unend- upended, that's not a good thing. There could be uh, a, a silver lining here because in this recession, it will be easier than ever for people who may lose their job if a company goes under to get another job. And, you know... It, listen, this is going to be a tricky time uh, for for Christian Freeland, somebody who probably has some higher aspirations. This will be a time for her to strut her stuff and prove her worth. I think she's done so in the past in certain respects. And this could be another thing 
for the finance minister and the deputy PM to say, hey, I should be someone considered for even higher positions. Jennifer, how do you feel about how the minister's been handling this? It's tricky because there are a lot of people, while they may have a job, are feeling the affordability impacts of what we've gone through. And so, while I agree with Elias on the sense of recessions can be good, uh, nonetheless, we are in this weird place of, as he says, low unemployment, but massive affordability issues, starting first and foremost with housing. How do you think she's handled it? You know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I think if you're paying attention to the trends, uh, obviously everything that's happened with the pandemic and interest rates, um, you would have seen this coming. You know, I think it's important that the minister obviously um, is like straight up with Canadians about what to expect, um, you know, how bad things are going to be. You know, people don't pay attention to the news as much as you or I, and so perhaps uh, are not planning ahead for their future, and they definitely should be uh, in these circumstances. But like you said, there are a lot of people who have been struggling for a long time. Um, And of course, like post, uh, you know, CERB and some of these payments, there are folks who are still jobless, as you said, um, who are struggling to afford food. Um, basic necessities. And so, you know, I think it's also fair to look to the federal government um, and ask how they plan to get Canadians through this. You know, I know she said that there may not be, um, uh, you know, all encompassing support, but I think it's uh, fair to talk about, you know, what is what is possible. And obviously there's um, I kind of divide on, you know, how governments get us through the recession. You know, I think the I think the Liberal and the Conservative Party would tackle that very differently. But this is the government we have. And so I think it's uh, I think it's worth pushing a bit harder on, you know, what it is that they're prepared to do to help get Canadians through um, this uh, this rough patch. Well, I'm actually going to put both of you on the spot in that regard. What what do you think we should see from them? I mean, there seemed to be such an appetite on the part of Canadians to allow the government to spend its way through COVID. And, we, you know, there was no program too big for Canadians and no deficit, no debt too big. But I don't know if that's the case now. Or will the Liberals just continue on? I mean, what, what do you think they should be doing, doing, Elias? And what do you think they will do? Well, I mean, it, it depends on what facet we're talking about here. And um, Jennifer brought up housing, right, which has been an issue across the country. We're starting to see it here in a big way uh, in Montreal. And, and I think when it comes to housing, we need inventory. You know, we need people to build. And I don't know, There's it seems to be like some pie in the sky thinking right now where we think we're going to solve housing without building in massive quantities. And what I see some, you know, and it's tough because I know, you know, we're talking about what the federal government can do. At times, I got to look to lower levels of government that keep wanting to to pile on uh, regulation and rules to stop developers from building just how much they want to build. So, you know, if if housing is a big issue and if housing is, is causing the cost of living to jump in a very high way, well, then we need more housing, especially at a time where the federal government is has it's an, it's very much open doors on immigration. Right. We're adding hundreds of thousands of new Canadians or prospective Canadians every year. We need places for these people to live. It's only going to get worse. So to me, top of mind, housing and find ways to build places for people to call home. But Jennifer, as as Elias points out, that's really not the bailiwick of the federal government. 
it's something that we should be doing municipally and provincially. And certainly so many of those immigrants that we just talked about are coming to the big cities where housing is the least affordable, the Montreal's, the Vancouver's, the Toronto's. So what can the federal government actually do here? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there, there certainly it's, this is not all on the federal government. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, at, at, at Toronto's level, you know, largest city in the country, uh, it has the largest uh, unhoused population, uh, certainly is a destination for uh, newcomers to Toronto who um, are obviously in need of housing and other services. And so, uh, you know, I've written a lot about um, Toronto's budget process, and I, I can tell you that um, there's still a lot more the city itself can do uh, to provide service for residents locally. Uh, and uh, there is still a lot more that the city can do in terms of building new affordable housing. Um, and, you know, there's a lot that's outside of the city's control, including interest rates and, and other things that are driving up costs. Um, you know, and, and don't forget about the uh, the provincial government. You know, my colleague Robert Benzi reported today that there will be an announcement coming uh, for the province about um, allowing a, a different types of housing uh, where it's currently um, uh, banned. So, uh, turning existing homes into duplexes and triplexes, for example. And so I'll be watching that with a lot of interest as well, because all of these things might make a very large difference uh, for some people when it comes to their personal finances. Well, again, it's one of those topics I'm sure that we'll be discussing for a significant number of weeks and months ahead. Coming up after the break with Jennifer Pagliaro of uh, the Toronto Star and Elias Makos of the Elias Makos Show on CJAD in Montreal, we are going to have the lightning round. A whole bunch of issues happening, some of them here in Canada, some of them internationally. I think about the Prime Minister in the, U- in the UK, and we are going to have a conversation on the lightning round. Just get everybody's quick thoughts on some of those great topics that we've been dealing with. You're listening to Free For All Friday. I'm Deb Hutton on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Free For All Fridays continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. I'm Deb Hutton, your host for the month of October. Well, Amanda Galbraith takes a, uh, I'm sure, very happy maternity leave with her new son, Bruno. Uh, in the last segment, I've started doing something I call the lightning round, which is to just take our two friends who have joined us uh, for this hour and get their quick take on a whole bunch of issues that we've all been either listening about, hearing about, or talking about in the last week. Joining me this afternoon uh, for this segment as well is Jennifer Pagliaro, who's the City Hall reporter for Toronto Star, and Elias Makos, host of the Elias Makos Show on CJAD in Montreal from 9 to noon in the mornings. So, Jen, I'm going to start with you. Strange things happening across the pond. Liz Truss resigned yesterday after just 44 days as British Prime Minister. It's the shortest tenure of any uh, Prime Minister in their history. Uh, and they will now be looking and they're going to choose in the next week their fifth leader for the Conservative Party in just six years. Jen, your thoughts on what's going on? 
Yeah, this is, you know, this is pretty wild. You know, uh, I love talking politics, but I feel like the UK is uh, one of those black holes for politics. You know, it's it, it seems to me like uh, it's definitely an interesting time for the UK. Uh, you know, they just lost the Queen. And, you know, from what I understand, the, uh, you know, the mini budget, as they're calling it, that uh, Truss proposed uh, really, uh, really rocked people the wrong way, I think. Um, and, you know, it's been seen as a somewhat absurd and i think uh she quickly lost confidence and you know it's it's you know it's not um completely unprecedented and it sounds like uh you know she she just she took a really big misstep very early on and so yeah we'll be i'll be watching closely to see uh how they how they tackle that in terms of um moving forward with uh uh trying to replace her as leader uh you know a new election it'll be it'll be pretty fascinating well i think by this time next week we'll know who the new prime minister is because they're having a very short contest so stay tuned for that topic two elias to you we're headed to your province on wednesday mnas from quebec solidaire opted to only swear an oath to the people of quebec and skip the oath to canada's monarch i don't think a big surprise but should we care well, you know, I think, and, and to add to that is that today was the Parti Québécois that was sworn in. Uh, they're the ones who started all this. Uh, the leader of the Parti Québécois, Paul Saint-Pierre Plamodon, said he will not swear an oath to King Charles III, no matter what. The thing here is there's still plenty of time, right? So they can, they can do the public, I refuse, I will not do it. Both of these parties can do that. But sometime within the next few, uh, the next five weeks, because the National Assembly will only go back to session on November 29th, they're going to have to do it. I mean, it's in the Constitution. They don't have a way out. There's no way to pass a law to change that between now and when the National Assembly uh, seats. So in the past, Quebec Solidaire, what they have done is they close the doors and behind closed doors, they pledge that oath to the monarch. Uh, I suspect they'll do that in this instance. And let me tell you, if Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon and the Parti Québécois say, no, we won't do it, well, then I think they should be prepared to watch the proceedings from the press gallery or from the public gallery because they won't be able to take a seat. And, and I suspect they're going to have to swallow their pride and go behind closed doors and just say those words. Topic three, back to you, Jen. Uh, the new national handgun sales freeze takes effect today. Earlier this week on News Talk Today, I had both sides of the issue uh, on our radio show because even though the freeze takes effect today, we actually still have some parliamentary processes that are making their way through uh, Ottawa. One of the proposals on the table is to amend the legislation to expand the group uh, of handgun owners and shooters who are allowed and who are exempt under this act, who are allowed to still continue to have handguns and, and replace them and that sort of thing. We had uh, the sports shooters who say it shouldn't just be those who are qualified as Olympians or Paralympians who are exempt from this legislation, but all sports shooters. Because one of the ways you get to be an Olympian is that you start early and you practice. Jen, what's your thought on those two positions? Yeah, th you know, this is pretty interesting. Um, you know, obviously in Canada, unlike in the U.S., there are sort of limited ways that um, the average person can legally own any kind of gun, uh, especially handguns, which are further restricted. And 
you know, I, I've heard I've heard these arguments. I've heard both. I've heard both of these. Uh, these are kind of long-standing sticking points. You know, there are lots of people who say there's no reason for anyone other than possibly police officers to own handguns. Um, you know, it's 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 worth pointing out that. Uh, uh, crime guns aren't typically uh, stolen uh, or resold by legal handgun owners it's fair to say um, but it but it does happen um, and so obviously as we try to move towards uh, less gun violence in the city um, it's sort of a hard position to stand by and of, and of course um, cities are actually calling on the federal government to do even more than just than just ban sales they want them to be banned uh, including marriage on tour they want them to be banned entirely um, which would include possession. And so I think that's also worth um, talking about and, and, and thinking about that, you know, we've got major political leaders saying we don't want these in our city at all, sports shooting or otherwise. Topic four, Elias. Loblaws has hit the brakes on um, 15 of their products. They're going to freeze their no-name products until January. Is this a PR stunt, as I called it earlier this week, or is this Loblaws being a good corporate citizen and making a difference? Shame on anyone that fell for this, okay? It absolutely <laughs> was a PR stunt. I mean, anyone who thinks that Loblaws, the uh, most successful grocer in Canadian history, doesn't know what their can of peas will cost next uh, next January, anyone who believes that, well, I, you know, I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. So this was total PR stunt. It made other grocers look very bad. But um, this this isn't a freeze. This was planned all along. They know exactly what their canned goods and boxed pastas will cost in January. Uh, but uh, they certainly got a lot of news coverage out of it. Jen, I am going to try and squeeze in topic five really quickly. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith got into hot water again, this time for comments she made just a few short months ago on Ukraine and talking about uh, Russia in, in what was perceived as a pro-Russia way. Does this make any difference to her tenure as Premier of Alberta? You know, I think it sounds like folks are accepting her apology. I think if you look at the original statement about, you know, Ukraine accepting neutrality, uh, I think you can chalk that up to, uh, I, I mean, I hope you can chalk it up to ignorance because uh, seemingly that uh, is not based in in facts or reality, that position. And so uh, I guess it depends on whether people are willing to accept that uh, she came from a place of ignorance and that she apologizes uh, for, for kind of speaking uh from that ignorance so my friends that's all the time we have we only got through five issues in that lightning round thanks for joining us i'm deb hutton on the iheart radio network